We're going to get some steamy scenes with Rosemary Harris. That's nice. The Scotch on the Rocks. Please, any Scotch will do. As long as it's not a blend, of course. Uh, single malt. Glenlivet, Glenfiddich, perhaps. Maybe a Glen Gow. Any Glen. I'm thirsty. I want a beer. What about you? You want a beer? Just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. Come on. Come on. Come on. on October 26, 2007, Dan in Real Life opened to number two at the box office behind Saw 4. We're definitely not ready for a repeat of our chain letter movie experience. Thank you, Jared. So we're not going to cover that uh, box office winner from this particular weekend. Instead, it's Steve Carell's first foray into what would become familiar territory for this actor of mixing comedy and drama, a nasty Hellcat favorite genre called dramedy. Mm-hmm. Dan in Real Life scored $11.8 million on its opening weekend compared to our forgotten film and the final film from Cindy Lamette before his death in 2011. Before the Devil Knows You're Dead grossed seventy three grand on two screens – However, it would go on to gross $25 million worldwide on an $18 million budget, and more importantly, appearing on over 20 critics' top 10 films of 2007 with a score of 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. The critical response to Dan in Real Life was more muted, rating 64% on Rotten Tomatoes while making $68 million at the box office on a budget of $25 million. On this episode, we can clearly see the critics failed before the devil knows you're dead with the general audience, so it's up to us to probably do the same. So before we get into it, let's do the Oscar show thing and let Dan Real Life defend himself with a scene totally out of context for our listeners. Uh, let's, go. Uh, no, no, no. let's go, guys. All right. Can I show you where we are on this map? Oh, yes. Here? Yes. Um, if I had known, I would have never... Not my brother's girlfriend. Oh, no, of course not. And for the record, I never called you a hottie. Hey, we are, this is the bay, oh, and we're right there. I see. So what should we do? Um, it's kind of funny, maybe we should just tell everyone. No, 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 no. We, we didn't do anything wrong, it was sweet. Oh, good! Hey, guys are getting to know each other. Yep, yeah, just showing her where we are on the map. Hey, Uncle Mitch, you're not counting. Okay, okay. Hey, I know what's going on here with you two. You're not hiding. <laughs> Go ahead. What? Um, Two. Go. Okay. okay. Right. Um, three. Eight. Mitch is a great guy. He is. He, he's fun and uh, funny. Fun, complicated, and uh, in a good way. Just what I need. He's a great guy. Nine. See, I just ended this long, messy relationship, and I joined this gym, and Mitch was there. He's a great guy. He keeps saying that. Well, because he is. Huh. 10, 11, 12, 13, 15. So good luck to all of us. All right. So uh, as I sort of mentioned in the intro, uh, the biggest criticism that I saw upon initial release for Dan Real Life, which I guess was a modest success, is this idea of it being a dramedy. And Jared, I would say this is probably 
Dramedy Prime. That's just my guess. Extreme Dramedy. Okay. Yes. Um, so before I let you uh, get nasty and probably be negative, <laughs> I assume Josh will come and play the good cop here. Uh, quick perusal of reviews for Day in Real Life. Here's what they said. Sentimental. Not remotely close to real life. And <laughs> this was a surprising one. The light version of Little Miss Sunshine. Um, I didn't know that that was needed. I didn't know that that was considered that dark of a movie. Counterpoint, Jared. It was also called Pleasant. So <laughs> I'm guessing you did not have a pleasant experience with this. Uh, shock me or just go into rage mode. Either way, I'm happy. <laughs> well, you know, after my um, review of Bad Lucky Goat, um, you know, I've kind of opened myself up to uh, enjoy the pleasantness, enjoy the uh, the light, the light movies and such. Uh, Red Turtle and, and all that. But well, here we go. Uh, but but yeah, I'm going to be negative. Like there's uh, <laughs> there's only so much that I can buy into with this movie. It's one of those things where it's like this movie could have been you know, done in like five minutes if people would have just talked to each other. One of those things, like if you would have just explained yourself within the first 10 or 15 minutes of coming to the cabin, I have like one this movie's to done. Because there, there, I think, and it may just be one scene. Now, admittedly, I think some shenanigans go on, but Dan at this family gathering, is it for a holiday? It feels like a holiday movie. Is this it feels Thanksgiving? like it, but is it I think it's just like a vacation, okay. like a summer vacation type thing. Uh, but it kind of feels like, and going into the holiday season, we're gonna. There's one I've got on the schedule that I know Jared will hate, uh, called "Love the Coopers," <laughs> <laughs> which is why it's on there. I hate already. Uh, but that that is marketing itself as a holiday movie. We're generally speaking, dysfunctional families get together and really aren't that dysfunctional, at least by the end of it. Uh, here, I think for the most part, it's like a normal family, and the only thing that's abnormal is uh, Steve Carell's playing a widower and. On this family vacation at a bookstore, he meets Juliet Binoche's character, and I guess it's the first time he's allowing himself. He's taken with her eyebrows. Was... Well, she has them this time. That helps. <laughs> Maybe. I had not considered that in the mythology of this film, that he's an eyebrow man. But I guess, and Josh, is it stated how long it's been since his wife has died? I think they said like four years or something like that, three or four years. It's it's not unreasonable either way, but it's like it feels like uh, for whatever reason he's putting himself out there. He's 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 gonna go with this flirtation he feels in the bookstore, and he's very excited when he gets back to his family's house to let them know, hey, I finally met someone. Turns out she's there, and it's his brother's new lady. Not only that, his brother's Dane Cook. So this is hell on earth for Steve Carell. <laughs> so my counterpoint to Jared was, I do. There's one scene. But it does go on a little bit where he tries to explain to his brother, hey, the woman that I was talking about that I felt something for in this bookstore, uh, that's your girlfriend. And I guess that's the opportunity for it to be squashed because nothing has happened there. But at that exact moment, Dane Cook, uh, I guess, opens up to his brother about how much he's into her. And, you know, this this may be like the one for him. So, Jared, in that situation... If you're Steve Carell, do you still go through with saying like, yeah, that's cool, bro, but uh, actually I was kind of into this. <laughs> that's the bookstore girl. I don't know if I would. Well, I, that's that's sort of also the unbelievable part is you keep going for it, which, you know, if that's your brother, I, I don't I don't see. It's you also know, Dane I, Cook. Well, you know, it's <laughs> it's also Dane Cook, but 
you know, it, all he has to do is chalk it up to a mistake and her to a mistake. She can maintain full innocence of it because it was just a pleasant conversation with somebody in a bookstore. So it just it, it feels like it gets tripped up over its own feet. I didn't really dig the bookstore sequence. I was uh, I'd actually seen this a couple of times and uh, I, I, I think I was one of the people who said, oh, it wasn't that pleasant. I like Alex. Brody disagrees. My dog. Good taste. Oh, I'm surprised. Josh can be negative here. I'll I'll get oh. in my one shot. Uh, the bookstore sequence I felt was like overly forced, and I had forgotten that as much as I like Steve Carell and I feel for this man who's a widower, lonely, and he's raising three daughters and kind of kicked around by his family. I I had forgotten that I actually am not really that into him and Juliet Binoche being together. Like I found that the bookstore sequence would be really cloying and trying like really over the top, their, their flirtation. And then when she's there with the family, I'm, it's not that I'm pulling for Dan cook, but I'm just like, all right, dude, there's, this is a sign that you shouldn't pursue this. Let's you're back on the horse. Let's go find something else. Maybe like Emily Blunt. Not bad. <laughs> not bad. Yeah. Dan. Mm. Hi. Hey. Uh, honey, you know, we're worried about you. You know that. And with your behavior last night, this morning, we are now officially worried. Well, thanks. I'm touched, but I'm I'm fine. We don't. We're having a private yeah, conversation. Come on in. Sorry. No, no, come on in. Like this is good. Privately. Like to talk to Go you. ahead. I'm all ears. Look, you know, you do so much for your girls, and you do so much for all of us. What are you doing for yourself? No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Come on in. I just want you to sorry, we're trying to have a talk here. It's fine. Honey, we'd like to speak Stay, to you Stay, please. Go yeah. ahead, Mom. Yes, honey. Is this because Uncle Dan's acting so weird? Yes, it is. Yes, sweetie, yes, but you is. know there's an explanation for all that weirdness. Please tell us. And I just wanted to talk to you. Dude, you got to be way backed up. So I just hope from time to time you are treating yourself to a little oh. self-love. Oh. I talked to my urologist about That's this. Enough. Come on. Oh, sorry. That's not what you're talking about, man. The real question, the one no one will ask is, will Dan ever find love again? No, he won't. Howard? No, I, I'm sorry, you won't. I'm That's just saying, honest. what I'm saying is, I mean, if you're yeah, open is. to it, love will find you. Oh. Yeah, I won't And perfect. <laughs> I don't think I was being clear before, but you gotta unclog that drain. Uh -huh. You, know? you yeah, gotta yeah. unplug that right. bottle. If I mix the metaphor there. Yes, okay. Yeah. So far, what you've missed is uh, worried. Love will find. Unclog the drain. Well, thanks. That is it. No, we are done. No, you can that's all... not it. Oh, that's on, not man. it. We met Margot Draper's daughter at the farmers market. Who? And she asked all about you. Yeah, you see, Danny, you gotta, you know, have a little fun. Which means that Ruthie Draper is gonna pick you up at six o'clock, and you're gonna have drinks. I don't even. You're gonna go on a date. No, 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 no. I'm not going on a date, Mom. Yes, honey, it's time. No. Ruthie Pigface Draper, no. Mom, Dad. Mitch, no. No. Not Pigface Draper. I'm no. sorry, that is downright cruel. There's nothing cruel what? about it. What Mom, I don't even remember Ruthie Pigface Draper. I don't want to go. I don't want to go with the pig face. Josh, you sound like you're gonna go negative though, so uh, I guess I'll have to play the good cop for this movie. <laughs> Thanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well deserved. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Did I play the good cop for once? That, yeah, that you have to be in the corner of defending trash. Huh. 
Josh. Don't you think that's yes. a bit much? That's a bit far. You like Steve Carell. I like Steve Carell, and I'm not against a I'm not against a romantic comedy or a dramedy, as you call it. Even um, I'm, I very much can appreciate a good, pleasant movie. You know, I like leaving my films in a good mood and and such. I don't I don't really need to be angsty about it. But the two the two sins that this movie commits that's just a big issue for me in my personal viewing is one, as you mentioned, the, the romantic dynamic and also the family dynamic over the top. People don't act like that in real life. You, you don't, you don't meet a woman in a bookstore and, and have that type of conversation. You might have a conversation. You might talk her into like having a cup of coffee with you or something and getting to know each other. But that whole like, soulmate conversation that you have immediately with somebody no I, sort of I, like high fidelity on speed like i feel like the yeah, john cusack yeah. character would have dug this woman because all she's they're connecting about are random books yeah and, and you can do that in films where you're you're kind of developing these characters that are maybe a little out of the ordinary anyways because they have those types of quirks and obsessions and stuff well, he's, but, a, he's a record store owner so obviously his yeah, obsessions yeah. gonna go to music but when you're trying to kind of set, I mean, the title is called Dan in real life. So, I mean, even just that in itself, it's like, okay, this is a little, I wouldn't call it slice of life, but you're, you're, you're supposed to be just kind of seeing these people in a very natural element. And the, the way the family gets together and does stuff, it's like, I mean, I know there's close knit families that do things together and go on trips and vacations. I get it. That's cool. But it's like every single thing they do throughout the day is like a big, it's exhausting. There, yeah, there's a, like, there are a lot of games <laughs> all yeah, the time. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe somebody somewhere does that, but that was just really out of the ordinary to me. And it just was like, man, I, I, it's just a little too sugary, a little too sweet. Just everything's going along. So you have that. And then the other issue being um, that just I, – I, 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 I can't even put it into words. You just I, hate Juliet Binoche with eyebrows. <laughs> That's, a, that's that's what it is. Okay, let me regain my, my <laughs> composure here because hot and bothered. Better take off. That, <laughs> I'm hot and bothered. That sweatshirt and that wig you've got on. Yes, audience, <laughs> he's wearing a wig for this podcast and sunglasses inside. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. You all just haven't seen me in a while. <laughs> Josh in real life right here is going against where he said no one acts like this. As I speak to a man wearing a wig and sunglasses, <laughs> you're blatantly lying. <laughs> That's what I don't get. Well, I don't. I don't think people have much trust in Nasty Hellcat, but he has to vouch for what I'm saying. That this is what we're seeing on screen right now. Fine head of hair, <laughs> and I would know. I do, uh, have, I do have a clip of you, Jared, that I keep meaning to throw into the uh, sober cinema mythology of you just saying, "Yes, I am a bald man," and that, that is all you say. <laughs> I've got it in my like Apple loops. <laughs> Maybe for this episode. Uh, uh, Josh, okay, I agree with you on the family. Uh, one thing that really bothered me is when, I think, I don't, I don't know what has just precipitated this, but he's laying in his room, which is like a cot in the laundry room. He's like the odd man out in this big, huge house with all these family members. One person comes in to talk to him. Um, maybe it's after the 
blind date with Emily Blunt, and then it's like the whole family comes in to like point out like what his like relationship problems mm-hmm. are. Yes, and yeah. I'm like, do we need the entire cast like it's a damn musical to come in and like sing to him about what a shithead he is? I'm like, the, the man did lose his wife and is raising three daughters, and yet he's kind of treated like Charlie Brown. You need to in jack a way. off more. Yeah, he's being, that, yeah, he's, that, that, he's that's being not, treated like the black sheep of the family, like like he's some sort of weirdo or something. I just want to point out that is not the nasty Hellcat being the nasty Hellcat. That that is like <laughs> no, that's of, an actual point. That's a, a talking point in this with his whole family. Yeah, so you're uh, saying mean spirited you know, in a way. Yeah, it is mean spirited. But along with that, I guess the biggest problem I have with all of that is that it's just it's too predictable. I you know I understand. There's hundreds of movies made. We watch a lot of movies. You know, we're doing a movie podcast, so we're going to get a little burnout on seeing a lot of the same type of stuff revisited. But I just a movie like this, you're 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 able to call it every step of the way. You know, he 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 meets her in the bookstore after being told that the brother's uh, new girlfriend's on the way. You're like, oh, that's the brother's girlfriend. Okay, that's that's. Cue the awkwardness. That's going to happen. I'll go against you just slightly there. I think if I was watching it for the first time, I wouldn't have called that. <laughs> Only if I see, oh, his brother's Dane Cook, Juliet Binoche, and Dane Cook. Not a screen pairing I would ever, <laughs> ever imagine together. <laughs> yes, casting director. <laughs> <laughs> I feel Juliet like Binoche seems a little out of place in this film altogether. Well, I feel like Dane Cook is perfectly placed because it being Dane Cook gives you a leg up to root for Steve Carell and be like, eh, maybe his brother deserves it. <laughs> because the funny thing is the brother character as played by Dan Cook, Mitch is like totally a nice guy. Like totally looks up to his brother, like compliments him. Like if if it was an actor or maybe a person that had a better reputation and wasn't reviled by the internet, which I don't know if he still is. Uh, he's forgotten now. He, yeah, he's uh, my wife actually did ask that. She's like, whatever happened to him? I was like, who cares? <laughs> he made his money. But I, I do think that's important. Like, imagine if you had, uh, I don't know, like another actor, like a comedic actor that was playing this part from like a sitcom, much like Steve Carell. I think, uh, like, God help us, if it was like John Krasinski playing his brother, you would hate that would Dan. Have been, you would yeah. hate this guy. You would hate what he's doing to him. Which, oddly enough, is funny since, you know, he ends up with... Uh... Uh, what's her name? Krasinski's actual wife. Emily His Blunt. actual wife. Yeah, Emily Blunt. There's the and that's the other Josh. point. If he if Dan had ended up with Emily Blunt, I think this movie would have been awesome. If he had well, just moved like, on. <laughs> yeah, another another one of those tropes I can't stand. It's like, oh, they actually come across a beautiful, seemingly perfectly nice person. I mean, they made her seem yeah that they gave her a couple quirks that made it seem like maybe she had a couple issues of her own, but no deal breakers though. It wasn't <laughs> like she was. Here's the deal breaker as presented, and Jared, I'm going to ask you if you have a problem with this. The biggest issue in Quirk, the Emily Blunt now, looking like Emily Blunt has, mm-hmm. is I, what, she's a surgeon. Uh, she she surgeon. apparently was set up as some sort of ugly duckling who's now mm-hmm. turned into a beautiful swan. Uh, her biggest quirk is that she really, really likes Dan's writing. Oh Lord, no! <laughs> Would that bother you on a blind what date? A You're on a blind date with Emily Blunt, and they're like. Nasty Hellcat, I just fucking love sober cinema. I just love it so much. And start <laughs> quoting back some things to you saying you're a genius. Is that a turnoff? 
well, I'm automatically suspicious, obviously, given my Jared. pessimistic nature. But <laughs> I think this explains so genuine, much, Jared. <laughs> like, <laughs> even what's you, your angle? You would Emily. turn that as a negative. Emily Blunt <laughs> saying she loved you and your podcast. Never mind. Strike it from the record. Apparently, that is a turnoff. <laughs> I'm sorry, Josh. Jared just proved the point of dating. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> But again, going back to predictability, as soon as they brought that character in and they showed how uh, Dan Cook's character responded, I was like, oh, that's the out. He'll end up with her at the end. That way we don't feel bad about everything that happens. Why would you? And Good for him. Well, they established that he's wild, too. So the fact that she's dancing and he's already like commenting on her while he's sitting there with Juliet Binoche, <laughs> it's like, well, this is where this is going. Yeah. Yep. I did like that bit with... Uh... You have Steve Carell and Juliet Binoche exchanging looks as Dan Cook is commenting on like the hotness of Emily Blunt in front of her. And he looks at Juliet Binoche and he's like, nah, she's cool with it. You're cool, right, babe? You got this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, would have liked a sequence of Juliet Binoche going crazy herself, shaving off her eyebrows. And, uh, she burned pancakes. So. She did burn pancakes. It's, you know, it's like a less funny extended episode of everybody loves Raymond is what I thought about where you have like Raymond slash Dan sort of putting a fix with his overbearing parents. And he's sort of like the, the every man you're rooting for here. Um, but yeah, Josh and I saw this in other reviews too. I think you make a good point when you're titling it Dan in real life. I think the movie takes a huge shift. Like I was really into it when it's just him, like getting his three daughters together Mm-hmm. And just kind of going through the normal father motions of like, you know, having young you know, teenage girls and yeah. boys becoming interested in them. I thought that Steve Carell actually underplays the comedy so much that I was like, oh, this is – and as I'm beginning this movie, I'm like, man, this is a lot better than I remember. But being yep. a sober cinema joint, it, <laughs> it goes <laughs> awry. Yeah, that's – I was digging it at that point. I was like, you know, seeing him, single parent, you know – you got the gender dynamic of a single father trying to figure out how to handle his young daughters, especially kind of one or two of them going through puberty or whatever and just being obsessed with a boy and all that. It's just uh, that that was more interesting <laughs> in that take than the wackiness that I feel like ensues of the, the whole family get together. And, and yeah, it's just like even like his mom, like after uh, I think it was that scene at the, the dinner table where he kind of throws a Dane Cook's character under the bus a little bit about the past girlfriends. Yeah, brings the knives like his, out. Yeah. Yeah. His mom's like, all right, everybody, time to go play games. And then she's like, except for you, Dan. You <laughs> clean the dishes all by yourself. I'm like, you're a grown man. You just walk out. Tell that old bag where to put it. Go down to the bar and shake it down with Emily Blunt. Anyone who's a fan of the show knows that I'm pretty slow with a... Uh editing or releasing these on the actual anniversary and uh i may have a good excuse this time to hold this for our thanksgiving week episode so you can imagine what josh is telling his mom over thanksgiving dinner (laughs) if she tells him to to not participate in their flag football or (laughs) parcheesi he's gonna tell her we're just stinking (laughs) josh you know it's funny i I wanted to go against you when you said i like a good pleasant movie where you feel good and i'm like really because you like a lot of weird movies i was like i don't know if that's your favorite (laughs) And I feel like there it is. You're leaning Dan in real life more into like David Lynch territory. <laughs> Foxcatcher. We, we'll do Foxcatcher on the show and we'll give you the Steve Carell you want because that's the go. family film. That's it. It actually wouldn't have been a bad pairing with uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead as far as uh, brothers and what's yeah. going on there. What's happening with you? 
I just think you had the world by the balls, and I'm not sure you even got any. I got them when I need them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's smart and funny. That's what I always admired about you, your wit. You're a prick, Andy. I always was. So let's see if there are any left. What? Cajones. Oh, you need money? So do I. Let's solve it. What are you talking about? Well, there's a place we can knock off. You know, like the back of our hand. Easiest money we'll ever get. What are you saying? It's worth about 600 grand. And it's insured, so it's a victimless crime. I offer that in case your faggoty little conscience bothers you. I lay it off on 20 cents on the dollar. That's 60 grand each. Give or take. I can't believe this is you that's talking. I believe it. So it's safe. Nobody gets hurt. Everybody wins. It's perfect. What? Do you need money? Of course I need money, but this is a serious crime. I'm not a serious crime kind of guy. I got a kid. You got shit. You got a whole lot of shit. You said so yourself. All the time. Every day. You know what? It's not as serious as you might think. You're my little brother. Now trust me. On that note, uh, I, I'm going to start with you, Josh. I, I want you to be happy. <laughs> if you're looking for darkness, if you're looking for lack of sentiment, we'll switch gears to the very loving family. <laughs> These two sons who are going to rob their parents' jewelry store in what is set up to be a victimless crime that, I don't know, about... Jared, how long does it take? A minute into this robbery before it's suddenly not a victimless crime anymore? Suddenly... We have a lot of gunplay and yelling at old women and shots fired in a situation that really didn't call for it at all. But, you know, got to make the movie. So, well, I mean, I did like that uh, this petty criminal that amps himself up to death metal before he goes in a store uh, <laughs> makes the cardinal sin of turning his back on an old woman as Josh has said. You can't trust an old woman. An old mother is not <laughs> mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll make you do the dishes or shoot you in the back of the neck. Um, I'm just packing heat. Let's see. Here's a review I came across. Uh, Jan Stewart of Newsday said of Before the Devil Knows You're Dead that, quote, family and the core ideals that hold them in place are blown to smithereens by the robbery at the ravaged heart of Sidney Lumet's scathing new thriller. That begs a question for me. I'll toss it to Josh first. Why did I not watch Dan in real life after this movie? Because I think it would have come across a lot better or would have been very pleasing, <laughs> even more pleasant as a follow-up. I instead went Dan in real life, then Before the Devil Knows Your Dad, and was left with very dark thoughts. Josh, I'm assuming <laughs> that was a tingling sensation all over your body. <laughs> left with Before the Devil Knows Your Dead. Well, the tingling sensation came from two Aunt Mays in this movie and not knowing which one was the harder. Oh my god. <laughs> that is a uh, that should count as two assists for me on that one. <laughs> All right, dude. Opens with a sex scene in Marissa Tomei, Aunt May, as Josh called it. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman and all of his mm, thrusting really glory. <laughs> Did I do it for you? 
Yeah, you know me. Of course, I had to rewind it. I did a little uh, time cop shuffle on it, rewind it a couple of times, just to make sure I take in the scene. And it's I'm just glad I have you on record of you doing the time cop shuffle for a new <laughs> thrusting Philip Seymour Hoffman. <laughs> this is how the film opens, and I, I don't think it's like an overly sexual movie. But one thing I remember from watching the first time, really liking, is that you watch the whole act, and then when you get to the end of it, both parties are relatively unsatisfied. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> there's your Dan in real life moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it's like pretty unrelentingly dark. Even I think even more so when after the crime and you see the events of this where these brothers are trying to cover their tracks, but are also dealing with the guilt of what they've done to their own family, in particular their mother. I think it's even darker when you see them like torn up about it. You know, these are not just criminals trying to get away from a crime. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I hope we're just not caught. These are criminals who are thinking about the victims because they are family members the entire time on what they've done, and they don't have anything to show for it. Like they've they've sort of damned themselves, and that I don't know that makes it like them tr showing them as sort of fully three dimensional characters. I think this makes this a much darker movie. Oh, certainly. Uh, you know the the just the fact that you know the the plan for the the robbery was to be weaponless. You know, no guns or anything. It you you can see how in their jaded minds how the, how they thought that you know this is this is an easy win there's you know we don't have to worry about hurting anybody especially our parents they didn't expect either parent to be working they knew how the place was set up and what how it worked and stuff they did not suspect there to be a gun in there Philip Seymour Hoffman thinking that Ethan Hawke would perform the duty thought hey it's, you know it's all good Ethan Hawke not Which is that, that was kind of questionable that if he's if Philip Seymour Hoffman, his older brother, doesn't want to do it because for fear of being recognized, I always thought that was something. I understand not wanting to outsource it to some idiot criminal who is willing to go in there and kill someone, but I always did question like, well, so you're gonna send your younger brother who could also be recognized in this family business? I, I thought that was sort of a, a loophole. Maybe he just doesn't uh, care. Well, I think Philip Seymour Hoffman was referring to the whole like mall area that through business ties that like everybody there could potentially recognize him and. I guess they don't necessarily fear the the woman that was supposed to be working. Maybe, but but regardless, theoretically, it could have been a harmless crime. It is a matter of a couple things going wrong. The bad choice by Ethan Hawke's character to bring in this bit of an unhinged uh, third party that doesn't <laughs> really go by the rules of what he lays out for him, and then the unfortunate you know chain of events that it's their mother there instead. Yeah, there's a lot of tragedy in each of those steps that even though these are a couple brothers who are doing a pretty bad thing, you can certainly sympathize that this was not the outcome that they wanted beyond just not successfully robbing. Like they, they did not want harm to come. So uh, very dark. Jerry, do you sympathize? I feel like the film is pushing you to sympathize a little bit more with an Ethan Hawke character. They keep You have characters multiple times, the father and his brother played by... Hoffman, who uh, who mentioned his weakness, like that he he just doesn't have the stones to, I guess for life in general. Do you feel for him more or or not at all? You you sort of condemn him and Philip Seymour Hoffman's character. I, I kind of did sympathize with Ethan Hawke a little bit more so because he's obviously got his back to the wall in a lot of situations in life, which you know to probably his own design, as you see in the movie, he's not really making a whole lot of great decisions, but. You almost find, kind of get this like 
Philip Seymour Hoffman is putting the screws to him, maybe not, not so, you know, out in the open, but it feels like he's just kind of pressuring him to do this. Well, like, yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman's character is the one that really lays it on for Ethan Hawke to, you know, join him on this robbery and to perform the crime. So, and then he's the first one there in line, like, you know, really trying to guilt him after he fumbles it. Uh, so it's very plain that Ethan Hawke didn't think it was a good idea. He didn't want to do it. He just kind of felt pressured into it. And then, you know, he he obviously feels terrible about it afterwards. I mean, he's the one that's kind of like falling apart. Hoffman's character does something smart early on where I think he gives him two grand cash. Mm-hmm. And just basically is like, imagine what, you know, 60 grand would do for you. Like, what does what yeah. two grand solve for you? And uh, the difference between two is um, Hoffman appears to be someone who's to some degree a successful con artist at least in his job he's embezzling money he's moving things around he's got drug addiction and i guess the the opposite with his brothers uh hawks just kind of a layabout just not you know he's just he's broke you know he's he owes money on child support but he doesn't seem to be someone that as you're saying would even come up with something like this on his own maybe he's willing to do it but would need that push now on that note josh do you think there's a scene uh, at the funeral where Hoffman is the older brother, Andy talks about to his father about how Hawk's character, Hank was always the favorite. Is there a little bit of vengeance here on like the entire family for that dynamic, like that sort of grudge that he's maybe held for, since childhood? There seems to be a couple things going on. Like, yes, apparently how it kind of reads is that, Apparently, the father played by uh, what's his name? Something Finney. Uh, Albert Finney. Albert. Albert, Albert Finney. Yeah. Big Fish. Uh, <laughs> Just call he, him Big uh, Fish throughout the rest of yeah. this episode. Yeah. So uh, Big uh, Big Fish basically, I think, sees a lot of himself in Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I think they hint at it, but they don't really divulge that. It seems like maybe he has a little bit of a shady past with maybe his earlier days of when he was first getting into the business as well. Some some people dealing in stolen goods, stolen jewelry, uh, diamonds and such. So, yeah, they have they have similar connections, the two of them, which is. And he said he says as much to Philip Seymour Hoffman's character of like, you know, I saw all of myself in you and I wanted you to be better. So you kind of get the feeling that he almost despises his son because. Or maybe not despised, but he's disappointed in because he sees a lot of himself in him. So in that sense, in, the, in that regard, he probably you know did favor Hank, uh, played by Ethan Hawke. And because of that, I'm sure it caused some you know sibling tensions from Philip Seymour Hoffman of like you said may, maybe maybe wanting to get his brother's hands dirty a little bit, mm-hmm. but you know try to try to equal the scales a little yeah. bit there. There's a fantastic scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the, in the car after the funeral. Yeah. It's not fair! It's not fair! All my life, I've been afraid of becoming like him. All my life, all my life with you, and it's not fair! You can't just say he's sorry and make it all go away. It's too late. It's not that easy. It's not fair. It's not fucking fair. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. 
He can't do that. Poor Aunt May, uh, new Aunt May, Marissa Tomei, like, I don't even know if I get, like, how I would conduct myself if I'm sitting in a car with this guy, this actor, that could turn that on, like Hoffman. I mean, it, watching it was, not only is it a, a dark film, but it was probably even more depressing watching this after his passing, like, man, was he, oh, yeah. was he the best of his generation? Was that, like, the best actor? That's we'll certainly what I lifetime? was thinking when I was watching. I'm like, man, that, he's, he's one of those that, like, I think maybe some of us, you know, cinephiles probably knew what we were getting when we were watching him. But I think he's one of those guys that like, he wasn't valued as much as he will be as years go on. And people like look back at his, his body of work. But that, like you said, that's a, that's a great scene. And it's, it's hard to watch because I mean, it's, it's a very truthful and honest moment. He's breaking down, much later than the event that causes it, you know, basically the confrontation with his father. And well, not only that, but it's much everything that he's saying, he's saying at the point where none of this can be fixed. Like yeah. all of them, their lives are forever changed. And even with that regret of like, I wish he had said that sooner. He's like saying that like, after what they've done, these two brothers, none of it can ever be the same because they've now they've lost their mom. And once this comes out, which it will, uh, you know, that there, there will be no more relationships. There will not be, they will no longer be a family, which is <laughs> dramatically different from Dan in real life watching. <laughs> yeah. Just a shade bit darker. Yeah. So you mean they're not going to get together and do a family talent show? Like I don't in the living room feel like, uh, and there is, you know, I'd forgotten this. There is an element of, uh, the two brothers sharing an interest in the same woman. Um, here it's Marissa Tomei and, I do not feel there's there's no Emily Blunt walking through those doors for Phil Hoffman at the end of this to <laughs> make everything okay with what's gone down with all the betrayal. So I said uh, earlier in this, which one? Uh, how, what was the order you watched them? So Jared, which? How did you pair this double feature? Yeah, I watched Dan in real life first, so all it right. was same boat. Then. Yeah, uh, Josh, same for you. Yep. So the, the premise of the show is we're. <laughs> We try to establish, and even though Dan Rilhoff was not a runaway success, it was a modest success. Um, in this case, Before the Devil Knows Your Dead was clearly the critical favorite. We always try to put ourselves like, okay, with years past, like, you know, what, what went wrong or should audiences have, <laughs> have gone to Before the Devil Knows Your Dead on their date night? And <laughs> I have to say no. I mean, no. <laughs> they're two different aims, right? There's a lot of similarities as far as this fractured family betrayal among brothers and it's like i feel like dan real life gets a lot wrong as far as what you like there's a lot of avenues they could have taken as josh alu too that would make that a better overall movie um and maybe it's just judges what you're saying there there need to be confrontation scenes early on where maybe you deal with some of the the un, you know discomfort i guess of these mm. two brothers having interest in the same woman early on and the film's not as light and pleasant, but it's just better. And before the temple knows you're dead, they just do away with that. Even with the, we haven't even talked about the way they handle the narrative, the way they jump around in time, like the way they reveal information. It's kind of like they stack the deck against the characters. And what I mean is you already know the events of things 
when you flash back to see them putting it together, you already know how bad it went as you see mm-hmm. these two brothers coming up with it. You don't even get the, the you don't even get the facade of or how do you say it of a hopeful like oh this might work out for these guys. Uh, right. It, or following <laughs> along with their thought process like, well maybe this you know, maybe if they can pull this off, you know, no no harm, no foul, like, you know, if their parents don't find out about it, everyone will be fine. No, no, the movie shows you uh someone dies and we're gonna backtrack <laughs> and show you uh, their thought process about it. It does another thing too with that mechanic, and I, I don't know if you guys picked up on it, but like, so you wa- you watch the robbery, but the 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 burglar is masked. Mm-hmm. Well, because Ethan Hawke's character is like screaming Andy and crying as he left, I kind of thought like, oh, that, that must have been Philip Seymour Hoffman inside. So I didn't think it was because it didn't really sound like him, but I kind of was like, well, maybe it was then, maybe it was him. So they kind of trick you a little bit, then it's revealed, like, no, it wasn't. And then they reveal, like, during the planning scene of, like, oh, uh, you know, mom and dad won't be working. It's this old old woman that works for them. And you're like, oh, okay, well, thank goodness. It's not their parents that got shot inside. And then they reveal later, like, oh, no, there was a reason, and uh, the mom was working. So it's, it's kind of like they, they give you a little bit of relief, and then gut punch again. <laughs> and it's... uh. It's effective. Yeah, Dan in real life, uh, the most you get, I guess, out of Dan's headspace is there's one, I think just one scene with the uh, oldest daughter that says, hey, you're flirting a bit too much with Juliet Binoche. Like, I can see it. I don't know if anyone else can. But for the most part, you're kind of stuck in, I mean, and maybe that's what they should do with Steve Carell as a performer. You're sort of stuck in his headspace. Like, it's it's feel like these very sort of private, insular moments. Mm-hmm. And I... I wonder if the the comedy, if Dan in real life as a comedy would have played better more as an ensemble, <laughs> not like before the devil knows you're dead in tone, but just talking on how you get all these different viewpoints on like yeah. this one. It's considering that it's this family cooped up in this one house for vacation. I feel like, Hey, you could, it would have been kind of interesting to see someone else like follow them for a scene. And when they realize like, <laughs> I think my dad's like, into her like i don't i don't know as opposed to it just being it, it feels more just like a reprimand as as you know would someone's daughter actually even if they didn't recognize it would you josh would you have challenged your father being like hey i think you're <laughs> you're hitting on the the woman with the nice eyebrows no, a bit too I probably much. Would <laughs> business and <laughs> <laughs> You'd been doing the dishes by yourself, and there'd been no Pictionary for you tonight, or acoustic guitar playing. Yeah, um, I don't. I don't know. It's it's strange that uh, the one that has, I guess, the more damning sins. Um, I still feel like I get a better sense of those people than the one with. Really, it's just a crush. That's all it is. Like they in real life, they don't even like do anything until. I guess it's technicality until actually the, she breaks up with his brother. That's when he pursues her like physically. No, And I think the biggest eye roll I had of the whole film was, you know, early, early in the film, Steve Carell, you know, makes the point to his middle daughter, like you've known him for three days and you think you're in love. Like that's not love. That's not love. And he says that numerous times. You're like, yes, that's, (laughs) that's good advice. Steve Carell. That's, that's (laughs) how it works. Yes. It's probably a teen crush. You're probably attracted to him. You, you know, you you have you know high emotions and stuff, but that's not love. And he holds to that for most of the film. And you're like, yes, that's a that's a very true point. And then when they point out, like, oh, you've only known Juliette Binoche for three days, like, yes, and I'm in love. I love I'm her. I'm in love. <laughs> yes, it's like, oh, come on, no, don't lie. I don't think you can Stupid have movie. him be as uh, 
as real of a character then like <laughs> for that to play well, I think he needs to be Michael Scott. I think he needs to be absurdist and have no <laughs> self awareness where he's like, yeah. I never I never said that. I'm in love with her or this is different. Uh, that would have been better. Uh all right, I'm just gonna go ahead and vote for Nasty Hellcat because my next thought I'm like, well, I know where this is gonna put him in a position where it's obviously before <laughs> the devil, devil knows you're dead. On that point, Josh, like there's a sequence where you see Ethan Hawk uh after a sexual encounter with Marissa Tomei where he, he's trying to convince her, like, no, this is actual love and she's like, Eh, isn't this good enough? Then can't we just have sex and be <laughs> like why? Why do you need to take it to the next level? <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as I saw that sequence, I thought Nasty Hellcat is never going to vote for Dan in real life as far as this. Should be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, however, which way you get to your conclusion, I guess you were spoiler alert, alert right? <laughs> I mean, I could that could not have been more clear than if you somehow had called me at that very moment and been like, Mike. <laughs> Guess what, man? Marissa Tomei's awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then just hang up, which really would be. I'll actually, do that more often. <laughs> that's, that, I was going to say, that's a fairly normal phone call from you. Just a random Marissa yes. Tomei is awesome. Just another similarity with George Costanza, Jared has. <laughs> I will explain. I am a bald man. I do. I, I will admit that I understand why something like Dan Real Life would initially be more successful. It's not groundbreaking, but it's an easier sell as far as like, I just want to watch a movie. Uh, ha even having seen before the devil knows you're dead and maybe it's different for you all. I don't know how many times I could just throw this on. It is so bleak no, and so no. intense. Uh, and um, that's, you know, something like reservoir dogs, another crime thriller with the, uh, the narrative where you kind of go back and forth. That's like fun. Even with it's like horrific violence in segments, that's still a fun crime thriller because you're dealing with cops and robbers. You are not getting into the loss of a mother, breaking up your brother's uh, marriage, father expressing regret for how he treated his sons, even with knowing all that they've did. It's just intense. It's almost like watching a like a stage play where it's like you're just watching like these sort of titans of acting just like go at it. And it's uh, it feels about as exhausting as the activity sequence, the many sequences in Dan in real life. So I, I obviously prefer this film, but I understand that this is a hard sell. Even if you're praising it, I'm sure the reviews probably kind of unsettled people because they have to mention how intense it is to sit through. Mm -hmm. The thing about Before the Devil Knows You're Dead is it focuses much more on, I think, you know, the tragedy and how straightforward it is. A lot of times, you know, like you were saying with um, Reservoir Dogs, like the cool part is the heist and then trying to figure out who done it, and, you know. It's pretty much laid out for you in the beginning with Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. You know, like Josh said, you get little tidbit, uh, little nuggets of you know truth in the in the film as it goes along, but it's pretty fairly straightforward. Well, there's no Mister Pink who got away with the diamonds. <laughs> Nobody's see, getting away with anything. You see, it's a failure. <laughs> it's you know just gas pedal down. Everybody's you know tragedy for everybody. It's. It's very, very bleak. How hot was it, Josh? <laughs> well, here's the thing is that you can't, you know, I agree with what you're saying. It's not got a lot of repeat viewing. Uh, I think maybe somebody who's wanting to, uh, if you're in a very cinematic mood and, and you want to see some good performances, especially Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, you're you're going to get that with this. You're going to get some steamy scenes with Rosemary Harris. That's nice. 
Uh, there's the top of the show. This will be the second time you've heard that statement, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, I mean, I guess we're what? Almost almost 40-some episodes into our podcast here, and I guess I haven't really fleshed out what what we're aiming to figure out about the uh, the audience, but I agreed that, like, psychologically, Dan in real life is going to going to be the favorite i realize that that's an easier watch and it's more of a broader it's appeal a, but I, yeah bigger spread wider net yeah yeah but just in terms of the better film that i feel like more people should watch and should like i'm gonna go with before the devil knows you're dead well here's a follow-up question then what what do you think the responsibility is i mentioned that it was on numerous uh top 10 lists for the year yeah what what is the power of critics to get people to watch something like this I, I mean i think it's a lot i mean you see like come oscar time how the big oscar push does for movies you know gets people to come in and watch movies that they might otherwise wouldn't so i, I think those reviews really help and i find it really baffling that dan in real life got that from the critics like top 10 lists no and no, stuff no it because... did not no before the devil knows you're dead oh oh, oh yeah it did yeah. well then that is that's uh, that's puzzling, then. I guess that I kind of flies in the face of what I just said, because well, no, I would have expected... Because the point you're making, though, is like... I guess The Departed it has a Scorsese element, but I don't feel like there's a lot of awards recognition for genre films, in particular, like this type of crime thriller. That is sort of mm-hmm. small. You know, this is not The Godfather. It's not going to take decades on how it reshaped America, and it's really about capitalism. Right, right, right. This is a small character study. Uh, and so... I'm impressed that critics were like on top of it. This isn't something mm-hmm. that developed as like a cult following, but I do find it unfortunate. Philip Seymour Hoffman can win for Capote, which is fine, but I even considered for this. It's like, I, I think he's, he's better here like this. I mean, you, you put mm-hmm. that one scene up as I sort of was sarcastically referring to at the top of the show for Dan real life, put this one scene in the car with Marissa Tomei up at the Oscars. And you would think like, well, clearly that's the guy he's got to win. He wins everything. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know the marketing. I'm kind of interested in what the trailer was. If they tried to push it more reservoir dogs, as far as like a cool crime thriller, <laughs> there's nothing cool about it. And I say that in the best way. This oh. is dour. This is like, this would be the one you'd want to show kids. <laughs> Here's what crime is. Don't like. screw up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> because it is just like showing just the ultimate pressure that these criminals are under as far as that fear and regret and just loneliness. If like the only out is possibly, Philip Seymour Hoffman having to commit more crimes and then hoping he can get out of the country. That's it. But there's, mm-hmm. there's no, and even then I think the, the character mentions like we have to cover our tracks so well because we'll always be looking over our shoulders for somebody. And yeah. I, I think it's a great, it's a great sort of look at that, at the idea that only certain Not people, at all. only certain people are cut out for crime. And in that case, it's Michael Shannon with a pizza box. And even he, <laughs> even he makes a mistake. <laughs> Keep that pizza box close to you, son. What are you doing? <laughs> I was waiting on you to uh, refer to Michael Shannon. He can't go through an episode without being referred. Favorite, favorite pleasant moment in this film is when Michael Shannon is negotiating with Ethan Hawke, the buyout for, uh, for killing a man that's, uh, that was dating his sister. 10,000. Uh, 10,000. 10, Done. <laughs> he says it like, so cheery. Cutting you a deal. <laughs> like, loved it. Loved it. A little bit of trivia I read that Michael Shannon came in, auditioned, I think, either he only did one word or one line. It wasn't much. That was all he was asked to read. And then they said, okay, thank you. You can leave. 
And he's like, wow, they really hated me. And as he was leaving, he heard Sidney Lumet say, that's the guy. We don't need to see him more. <laughs> How nice is that? That's that's the really pleasant story, is that they took one look at Michael Shannon, that crazy guy from Kentucky. Shout well, out, Hiro. I'm going to be straight with you, Chico. You mind if I call you Chico? People call me Hank. Bobby was a piece of shit. I know it. You know it. That's not the point. The point is that piece of shit was the father of my sister's child. Shit. And he was paying the bills. And now he's dead, and I'm thinking, who's going to pay all these bills? I'm so sorry. I, I got to tell sorry you. Sorry I ain't going to pay the I bills, just, Chico. I know. I know. You need to negotiate a settlement, so make me an offer. Uh, ten grand. Done. It's, ten it's, grand. It's, I consider a season. <laughs> if you don't ten. like ten, I can make it fifteen. No. My sister wants me to kill you. Or I could call the cops. But I don't like cops, and the cops ain't going to pay my sister's bills. Yeah, I, I figured we'd all be in agreement on Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Unfortunately, as we were discussing off mic, they have made it really difficult to find this. Jared, I think you mentioned if you're in Australia, you can rent it through iTunes, but it's not available on iTunes, not available on Amazon. Yeah, on Google Play, it's like, I looked at it, it's like, what? That's not a dollar symbol. What is that? Yeah, apparently it's licensed only in australia or something so looks to look towards amazon for a dvd or a blu-ray or something oh it's free on youtube gosh we're trying to support the film here now and you're just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you just, you just got done saying you can't find it anywhere well they'll have to wait they'll have to take our word for it <laughs> give it the moral support at least watch it and love it and then... leave a youtube comment <laughs> <laughs> and then get it taken down <laughs> Hey, way to go, Josh. <laughs> so that's why you're wearing that get up. <laughs> Back to bad lucky goat for these poor bastards I'm, listening to our I'm show. Just dressing up like that sweet costume Ethan Hawk had in his <laughs> getaway car. I want you to scream Jared right now. And your best, you just think that Jared has ruined your life, which should just be a normal I thing. I say for it comes you. natural, I'm sure. Jared! <laughs> At Sober Cinema. Good idea. I'm sure it'll be great. <laughs> okay, and last but not least, Uncle Mitch. Uh, someone very wise, uh, my brother, once told me that if you want to be completely honest, sing. Um, but by the way, I'd like to introduce my band. I don't believe it. Yes, it plates and she. Two, three, four. People keep repeating that you'll never fall in love. And everybody keeps retreating. No one saw you talking with Bobby. No. I, no, nobody saw you here. Oh, come on, it was, it was crowded. It was busy. No, no. It, did he rent the car with you? Did he what? Did he rent the no, fucking car no, with you? No, no. Right, did he, uh, well, you picked him up? Yeah. Uh, did anyone see you there at his house? Did anyone see you at his no, house? No, no, no. Nobody saw you at the no. house? No. Did you, did you clean the car? Did you wipe the car down? Uh, totally. Did you wipe the car down? Do you leave anything in the car? No, of course not. 
yourself from misery. Only one thing we're probably okay. They don't connect the car, guys. We're probably okay. That's my love. That's what I was thinking. Go back to work totally normal. Shut up. I love this. Shut the fuck up. He had to take somebody out. Why couldn't it have been him?